All right. How's everybody doing today? This is the 18th episode of the Football Scouting Podcast. Uh, today on the show, we have another special guest. We have Ben Albright, uh, who it works radio for the uh, or uh, for a radio station in Denver and is one of the best at breaking news in the NFL. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing well about yourself. Do, uh, doing great. So for this show, we always start out trying to get to learn about the background of the person that we're talking to. I feel that it's very important for people to uh, understand where a person comes from, to understand how they got to where they are. So, uh, uh, Ben, how did you fall in love with the game of football, and when, when and how did that start for you? Um, I fell in love with the game of football sometime in the 80s. I just enjoyed watching it uh, when I was a kid and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, the school that I went to uh, early on when I was a youngster, some of the first schools that I went to were schools that had the kids, the professional athletes that went to them as well. Um, so for me, you know, it's just kind of always around it. Um, and, you know, I just always enjoyed it. And then I think the moment where my love of football was crystallized was when Steve Atwater hit Christian Decoye. And, you know, and that, that kind of just, I don't know, for me, that was just kind of the moment that football did it for me. And, you know, I've been uh, enthralled ever since. Yeah, that's that's a great moment. I mean, you had the uh, luxury of being able to uh, watch a Broncos team in the 80s and 90s that was successful. Uh, as a Browns fan, um, I heard so many stories about how much, uh, like, there are Browns fans I know who hated the Broncos more than the Steelers just because of all, everything that happened within the 80s and 90s and John Elway. So it's really interesting hearing somebody, uh, hearing the perspective of somebody coming from over there well yeah at, at the time i was actually a kansas city fan because i lived in kansas city so uh but now i'm in denver and it's just uh it, you know being the division rival thing is kind of interesting but yeah i, t- I can totally understand that yep so uh you didn't get your uh Career-wise, you didn't get your football uh, career started right away or right out uh, right out of college if i'm not mistaken you had uh, more you uh, after high school or after college, you were started, uh, you were in the military for a while. Uh, what was like the transition to being like a casual fan, to being in the military, to being like an actual like working in football? Well, I joined the uh, I joined the military actually when I was still in high school. Uh, I joined the reserves. And then, uh, you know, after high school and into college and stuff, we, we ended up getting deployed, you know, after 9-11 and all that. And um, you know, it just, it just kind of became a thing. I kept doing deployments with the units that I was with. And, um, at the time I was like, well, I might as well be active duty given how, you know, how often I'm gone. So, um, you know, that got to be old after a while. I didn't want to be deployed anymore. I was looking for other things. Uh, me and some friends started an IT company. Uh, we sold that. And then I was just kind of sitting at the house and, you know, football and being around football and my friends that were involved in, you know, played the game and all that kind of stuff. It, it, uh, it just turned into a thing. Um, you know, I started giving a little bit of analysis there on Twitter and it, it kind of took off a little bit and, you know, I had a little inside information here and there and, you know, people were wondering how I did it. And, um, you know, that turned into offers to do things and, um, you know, here we are today. It's kind of a kind of backwards approach. Almost nobody does it the way I do it, but you know, I, I find it kind of interesting, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, so as somebody who I would consider myself an outsider in the football industry, like I didn't really grow, n- nobody in my family has really any football connections. We barely have like football on in the house on Sundays usually. So I've always find it very inspiring when I can see somebody who doesn't have like any kind of connection 
or uh, like already set connections, being able to find a way to break into the industry and grow uh, and grow from it. Uh, what was like your how did your like first connection and it's like first net um, first connections and first sources come about and how did you cultivate that network and grow it? Uh, well, part of it came when I was a kid. Like I said, I went to school with a lot of guys that you know girls that were uh, athletes, son and daughters. You know, played for different teams, things like that. And I got my foot in the door one way, and part of it was uh, just meeting people on the way. I'm just a, I, I consider myself kind of a natural networker. You know, I just kind of like say hi to people, I like talk to people, um, and for whatever reason, people like talk to me. So, um, you know, that's that's kind of been the way that that's gone. Is you know having a little bit of information, being able to trade somebody else, and and kind of do that thing, and you know, I think uh, I, I think over the years, um, you know, it starts with getting to know one person and uh, and not messing them over to try to get ahead or anything. And you know, you continue that forward. And as long as you show, you know, these guys that you, know, you got their best interest at heart and you're trying to help elevate them, I think that's always uh, that's that's been the way that's always helped me to um, you know to get ahead in this. Yeah, I mean, so I've I've always really tried to uh, I've always thought of myself as being like a natural networker. Uh, I've always kind of felt that I don't really have fear in talking with people. Uh, for for example, the first time I was ever at the Senior Bowl, the first person I went up and tried to say hi to was John Dorsey back when he was the general manager of the Cleveland Browns. And mm-hmm. a lot of my peers were had kind of like a sense of like fear, like they didn't like deserve to be talking to somebody that high up. Well, and I just kind of like ignore just ignored all those feelings and went for it. But um, I've always felt that I was very, very good at like the part A of trying to get um of trying to get people to know your name but um I've always kind of felt that like cultivating it and like keeping the relationship going is can sometimes be very hard with with these people being so busy what kind of advice that uh, would you have on continuing relationships after you get your first introduction going well I think part of it like you said is overcoming the fear of, of talking to someone, you know, for a lot of people, I think that's step one. And I think the other part of that is reading the room, you know, understanding that uh, sometimes they're too busy to talk, that kind of stuff. And, you know, I think uh, making sure that you uh, balance the not pestering somebody with making sure that you are valuable to them. Because to be honest with you, the whole idea behind networking and everything else is that both of you are valuable to each other, right? Um, you know, whether that's value in a conversation, whether that's value in exchanging information or whatever, uh, there, there's a, there's a, a, an intrinsic value that each of you has placed on the other. And so if, if, uh, and every conversation is transactional in nature. So if you, uh, if you find that, um, you know, if you're a general manager, that person's thinking, they may not be saying this to you, but they're thinking it internally. So it's like, of what value is this person to me? You know, uh, it's my time, which is valuable. If it's going to be spent on this person, what am I getting it back in, in exchange for that? And so, um, you know, availing yourself and making sure that, you know, they uh, finding a way to let them know certain things about things they may be interested in. Or, you know, you don't want to be transactional in the sense that you're always making withdrawals from your, your source or the other end of the conversation. You want to be giving them things, too, so that it's a balanced transaction and they feel the need to, or, or the desire to keep coming back to you. Exact, exactly. And then the toughest thing is finding out what things you have to be of value to them. And what I'm hoping and what I think a lot of the other people are hoping to do is bring is like mostly uh, unbiased scouting opinions. Like all of the uh, scouts on our team have um, 
watched the players, gotten the All-22, and have made uh, evaluations without any, um, without getting poisoned by agents or none of them's getting paid on the side because we're all, we're too young and we don't have the network to even, or the power to even do that. Is that, uh, is that something that, uh, those general managers would consider uh, would consider valuable because that would be that was like my first hang up when I was hearing you say that was like, man, I'm still so young in the industry. I'm still learning so much. How can I even be of value to them? Well, I think you're asking the right question, but I don't think that you need to discount yourself because you're young. I think part of that is um, you talk about the scouting aspect of it. You know, they're going to have their own internal scouts, but maybe you see something they don't. You know, that is very possible. So. Um, you know, I, I would think that the way I would approach that, if let's say it was John Dorsey, is I, you know, and I were in your shoes, I would mail, physically mail him a copy of, uh, you know, the draft guide, and I would put some sticky notes on some tabs that you felt like were some of the strongest evaluations you had with some specific information in there that you, um, that you worked for that maybe nobody else has, uh, and point those things out. And, I, you know, I would just send that and say, hey, look, you know, these are some of the insights that we have. I know I'm, you know, I'm still young in this industry, but um, I'd appreciate your feedback. You know, this is this is the things we were able to find out. I appreciate your feedback. If this is something you find of value, what would you find something of value? What do you what do you feel that um, what do you feel that your scouting team is missing right now? What do you feel that you're not getting? You know, those kinds of things. And so that's what what I would ask is I would ask what where is the empty space in the market? You know, what is what is the space that is not occupied and how can I fill it? You know, uh, as Bruce Lee would say, be water, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so I think for me that's that's really even now that's kind of what I do is I, I look around the space and I say, what is not, what, what portion of this industry is not being adequately served? What, um, where is the space that no one is occupying and how do I fill that? Because as long as you are adaptable and able to do that, uh, that will allow you to one, retain employment and two, to kind of grow and evolve and, and, and be on the forefront. You don't want to be the guy that's chasing everybody else. You want to be the thought leader of the space, right? And so that'll allow everybody to be chasing you. And then they look up to you as that person. And, um, you know, and, and that allows you to kind of create uh, for yourself as you go. Yeah, because sometimes I do realize that because um, like when I was looking at some of the uh, people on draft Twitter who like uh, bought our guide, a lot of those people were like younger than me. And like there are people on like draft Twitter who are like 14 almost like kids in high school and um or people who are just starting in college and it almost kind of like feels weird as somebody who's actually built or helped build a piece of content that is actually valuable and selling and built a system that's really working because the thing that I take most pride in in the draft guide was I mostly I set up the skeleton I mm-hmm help pick what trait I picked what traits everybody was scouting I I uh, made the formats uh I used I made the scales or adjusted the scales off of something that like um everybody else was using so that was something that I was most proud of and I really found that like trying to interact with these uh, younger scouts one encourage them to buy the book and, and help me but as uh as time goes on and those people get better hopefully those people will remember if they are the ones who end up getting the big promotion, they'll remember me on the way up. Well, and that's, that's the other thing to remember is, um, you know, a rising tide raises all ships, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, if you're, uh, you know, if you're, if you're pouring yourself into people, you know, you're pouring yourself into your relationships, you're hoping they're pouring back. Right. 
Uh, and that's that's kind of how that needs to be. And that, and that that applies on a macro and a micro level. So not just talking about you and a general manager. That's on you and your peers, you and your colleagues, everything else. If everybody's always trying to help everybody else get ahead, then we're all always going to be easily getting ahead because everybody's looking out for our own best interest. You don't have to look out for your own. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole, yeah. That's a that's a that's a good way good way of thinking about things and. Uh, I do hope that being kind of like the good guy in this industry and the guy who isn't trying to burn bridges or start fights is going to uh, reap benefits uh, in in the long run. Mm-hmm. So uh, here's another interesting question. Like with breaking news, like you often get um you often get dealt like a lot of like highly sensitive information, secret information, information that might be kind of like, oh, we're going to tell Ben this to see if he puts uh, puts this out to see if we can trust him. It almost kind of feels like a like a minefield of just politics and uh, sensitive information. What uh, and I've been able to make some contacts myself and I've been given some information information that I'm like, yeah, I can't tell anybody this, but I know this. Um, what, uh, what tips do you have on like dealing with that minefield and how do you like manage all the information that you get? How do you like try to figure out whether or not what people are saying is true? Well, you have to have the kind of relationship where you know what they're saying is true to begin with. Like you have to, you know, if you, if somebody's just telling you something, you have to ask yourself why they're telling you that. Um, you know, you, normally you facilitate the type of relationship where you have that information where there's just an assumption of good faith to begin with. Like you're assuming that what they tell you is true because you have that kind of relationship, right? So uh, I think for me, you know, the main thing is when I when I talk to people, I you know, um, and, and as we go along, I kind of let them know. I'm like, hey, so this is all, you know, things are off the record unless you tell me or things are on the record unless you tell me. We, You know, you got to have, you got to clearly establish boundaries, you know. Uh, and if you don't want something out there, just tell me it's off the record or for background or whatever. And so, um, you know, that, that's that's kind of how we parse that information. Um, I think the other thing to do is, you know, in putting things out uh, in, in putting things out in the public domain, you have to ask yourself is, does this damage anyone? And if it does, is it inherently valuable to the public space that they need to know this? Like, you know, if if somebody. Uh, I'm trying to think here. Uh, Somebody stole a pack of gum back in back in school. That's damaging to a person, but is that really valuable to the public space? Probably not, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if somebody is, uh, uh, you know, twenty two years old and uh, they're constantly having relations with fifteen year olds, uh, that's damaging information that probably belongs in the public sphere. You know, you, you probably need to, you know, that, that's the kind of stuff that needs to be known. It's a, it's a very bad thing and can cause harm. So I think the thing to ask yourself about information is, does this cause harm? And is that harm uh, the type that needs to be out there? And if it doesn't need to be out there, then what are you doing? You know, just use mm-hmm. that for your own personal uh, education and personal background on things and kind of uh, and kind of go from there. I, I, most of the information I get these days, like um, try to think of one, like for instance, uh, the AJ Bouye situation, AJ Bouye got popped for, uh, for performance enhancing drugs last year. Right. So putting yeah. that out there would pop him, you know, and for what? Nothing. Um, so, you know, last year, well, I, I sat on that information for quite a while because what we were waiting on was he was going to appeal it. There was a whole other thing going on. He'd been lied to about, you know, what was in the, the substance. Now, ultimately, the responsibility lies with the player. But, you know, he trusted the person who'd given him the substances and, and, and who worked with some of the other athletes and, you know, went with it. So, um, you know, there's a specific instance where I sat on a story for a long time. And then finally, another reporter had started, like, gotten wind of it. And was going to put it out, and I got I got 
leaked to me that that reporter was going to put that information out. So I called the player and said, hey, this is going to break in the next 15 minutes. I'm giving you a heads up. It's not me. There's somebody else that's going to break this. Um, I'm just letting you know, and I'm going to go ahead and run it now. And, you know, I asked the player if there's anything they wanted put out with that story, with that information, um, you know, to go from there. And, uh, you know, they didn't. They didn't want anything else extra out there. But, you know, it's one of those kind of relationships where, you know, often the, 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 the anecdote that goes with the news comes directly from the source in the sense that, you know, hey, um, actually, I was lied to about this. You know, yeah, I'm about to get popper steroids. That's going to follow me for the rest of my career. But the truth actually is I got lied to about what this stuff was. And they told me it was one thing and it wasn't. And, you know, there you go. All right. Yeah, that's like it almost seems kind I don't want to say movie-esque, but like there's just so there's just so many layers. And I I just find that so interesting. And I think it takes a very hard to obtain skill set to be able to like manage all, uh, all of that and doing so without making mortal enemies for life. <laughs> so I, well, applaud, I applaud you. Even without uh, even trying to not make mortal enemies, you still will. There will still be times where somebody wants something out there and you don't put it out there or vice versa. Um, and then there's reasons for putting stuff out there. You know, a team may, may give you information and they may say, yeah, you know, blah, 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 just to see if you put it out there. And uh, that, that may help them in the next contract negotiation, you know, damaging information. Well, this player was injured. He's got a history of injuries. You know, I, we can't offer, you know, and then now they, they, they take that media quote and they, they've taken it in their negotiations. So, well, you know, we'd love to, but you also, you know, it's out there that you have a bunch of injuries. We can't, you know, we can't pay those kinds. So, and that's just an example, but there are, there are, um, with, with information, you need to, the main things you need to ask yourself are, does this damage anyone? Is it important that this is out there? And, you know, what good does this serve? And, uh, if you if you answer those three questions, you learn to answer those three questions. I think you'll be pretty good at, at, at putting stuff out there. Exactly. I'm I'm a I'm a big believer in uh, do no harm, mm-hmm. and uh, I know that like sometimes you like doing harm, and uh, if you're doing harm for the greater good or doing harm to one person for benefit of others, you can kind of be in a little sticky situation. But yeah, I think that's a really good way of looking at things. All right, this is a scouting podcast. Um. At, uh, at its core, and while scout um, networking is such a very, very huge part of scouting, I was kind of wondering how much do you do you uh, how much you scout on your own? How much of the knowledge that you get is based off of you just uh, turning on the all twenty two and breaking stuff down, and how much of it is based off of your conversations with other people? Um, I, you know, I couldn't give you a percentage off the top of my head. I would say more of it comes from, I'd say these days, more of it comes from conversations that I'd like. (laughs) I just don't have the time to do as much as I used to. Um, You know, when I was in my 20s and in my 30s, I had had a lot more time uh, to be able to sit there and do that. And I would do that. 100% of it would come from my own work and all that kind of stuff. Um, The problem is now, I just don't have as much time as I used to have. Um, I just don't have, you know, all day, every day to sit there and do this kind of stuff. And so, um, some of it comes from me cracking my own, but I, I don't have the time to sit down there and delve through tape on everybody from, uh, you know, some D3 school like Tarleton State or, you know, I don't have time to, to, to sit there and, and just go through that much tape on, on guys like I used to. So um, everybody knows who the top 100 players are. I mean, everybody, everybody in the draft knows who the top 100 players are. Um, you know, so, so that's, you know, that's, I think you kind of go through and you, you kind of hit on those a little bit and, what you do is when you're going through and you're looking at those guys, you make notes of anybody else that jumps out at you, you know, anybody else that jumps out at you while you're watching this. Uh, and then you go back and you look at those guys and that'll give you your next, you know, hundred guys to kind of take a look at and, and, and go from there. And are you going to miss some people that way? Sure. 
Um, but I think that, um, I, I think for me, that's just the way I have to do it to be as efficient as I can. Uh, I just don't, I just don't have the time anymore to, you know, to scout everybody like I used to. So, um, I try to make the best, make do the best I can with what I got. All right. Yeah, that, uh, that makes sense. If you ever need a scouting department for a hire, you know who to talk to at XTB. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I saw on your uh, Twitter bio that you had the um, second uh, second most a- uh, accurate mock, dra- uh, mock draft. Do you have any uh, advice on uh, how to best make a mock draft? Uh, one, if you have sources, and two, if you don't have any sources? Don't share who you're going to put in your mock draft until you do your final mock draft, because <laughs> everybody will copy you. Um <laughs> That's that. That would be my thing. But for mock drafting and, and, and projecting and stuff like that, what you really try to do is project, you know, what players going to go to what team and where, right? Um, and so I think you just you kind of look around the league at relationships between coaches, agents, players, um, and then you look at, at the amount of time each team invested uh, into those players. And you know, if you've got a relationship with that team, you can talk to them about it a little bit. Um, and that's that's been one of those things. I think I've been fortunate enough to be kind of good at that, you know, over the years. Um, and they have some, they have a couple of services that kind of keep track of that. Um, you know, I think over the last uh, three or four years, I think I've been in the top 10 every year. The last two years, I think it was like eight and two, if I'm not mistaken. I have to go back and look. Uh, but, you know, I, I pride myself on that. I pride myself on that thing because what that's led to is that's led to me being able to talk to some teams ahead of the, you know, ahead of them drafting. They're like, hey, look, uh, you know, you want to sit down and chat for a minute? Here's we've done some internal mock draft and we want to talk to you. Uh, what you're hearing, those kinds of things, because we'd like to, we're just setting our board and we need to know if we need to move up. And it feels kind of cool to kind of have a little tiny sliver of, um, you know, I don't want to say power, but maybe influence, uh, you know, as far as that goes. And, you know, you have to do a little drop in the bucket of influence on what's going on in the league and, um, you know, what teams think they need to do to move up to get what guy or whatever. I mean, you know, and then ultimately it's, it's, an, it's a mirage to lose. You don't really have that kind of influence, but it feels cool for a minute. You know what I mean? Exactly. I mean, from what I understand, the scouts and the GMs, like, they're a little insulated. Like, they know everything that they're going to do. And, yeah, they're going to have some people that, like, get out there. But somebody like you who talks with a bunch of teams and talks with a bunch of agents, you might know a lot of things that they don't know. And that'll be very valuable to them because getting knowledge is power in this industry. Yeah, and I I think that's it. I think for me, that's, you know, that's kind of the fun of it, and you know, and kind of – and, and and kind of for me, learning new things is always fun. And yeah, you know, I think as, as I've gotten older and I've gotten more away from where I started, which was actually you know kind of trying to independently scout a lot of these players. Um, you know, you learn the difference between valuation and evaluation, right? And mm-hmm. evaluation is scouting. You know, evaluation is evaluating a player, his talent, whatever, and putting a grade on him, right? Um, you know, a number scale, zero to eight, whatever you use, that kind of thing. And then valuation is figuring out what it's going to take to be able to get that player, right? So maybe you have like on on an eight scale, maybe you've got a a 7.5 grade on a player, but you know that most teams don't have a high grade on him. So you're going to be able to get him maybe in the early second round, even though you think this is a blue chip player, right? So that's the difference between valuation and evaluation. No team out there puts a first air quotes, first round grade or second round grade, or they don't use round grade. That's not a real thing. Um, no team does that. So what teams do is they, they put a, a you know a, a grade on there saying I think this is a, a future Hall of Famer, a perennial All Pro, Pro Bowler, starter, backup, just a guy, etc. Um, 
And then they next to that, they'll put, this is what it will take to get him in the draft. We need to spend a first or a second because somebody else is willing to come up that high to get him. So uh, for me, I think that's the most fascinating dichotomy um, between the two, between the two industries is the difference between valuation and evaluation. Yeah, exactly. Because there are some players that we have on our board that I think are quite different from consensus. Uh, we had Peyton Turner as a, like a borderline first round pick. Like we think he can be a starter right away. We have like Richie Grant as somebody. Um, and we did the report before everybody knew that Richie Grant was going, it was like a second round pick. So it's like kind of interesting to see that, hey, on our system, we really like this guy and this guy and this guy, but we know we're a little far apart on consensus and the fact that we're only really doing tape grades. So we have guys yeah. like Matt Bushman, who's not, it's like a top 100 player when it's when he's coming off an Achilles injury and he's like 25. So it's going to be like just because we have like the tape grades doesn't mean they're going to match with reality because there's so many other factors like injury, character, age and system fit and what teams are looking for in the NFL. Well, right. And, and, you know, I think the age thing, that's one of those things that's kind of interesting to me because a lot of the people who do the, you know, do the scouting and stuff, they, they kind of get a misnomer with that. The teams in the league don't really care if a guy's older or not. The difference is it's like a 25 year old is going to be more fully developed than a 21 year old in terms of functional strength. So if you see a guy out there who's 25 who's throwing people around, it's probably because he's just got, he's grown into his body as a man and, you know, and is still not necessarily a kid. And so I think that's the thing. I think that with, with the age thing, people consider, you know, they're like, oh, this guy's 25. We're, we're not taking, you know, that's not how teams look at it. They're just, they, they look at, you know, who is this guy right now? What does he have the potential to become? And how far is the difference between those two things? And, um, and, and I think that's, you know, that's, that's a part of it with a guy like, like Bushman. Okay, yeah, Bushman, I think Foster Merrill, the Arkansas State nose tackle, are players that are going to be like 24, 25 on their uh, when opening day day starts. So that's that's something that uh, I plan on noting on our uh, next to our players for the next update on our draft guide. Mm-hmm. All right, Ben, do you have uh, any other uh, questions or anything you'd like uh, you'd like to say? Um, not really. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, any Twitters you need to plug or podcast oh, you, shows? No, you guys can unfollow me at Albright NFL. I, it's, it's a dumpster fire. I wouldn't follow me. All right. That's, uh, that sounds good. Well, uh, I'm Paul Duncan. I am at the football on Twitter. Uh, thank you guys for uh, listening and thank you, Ben, for coming on. Absolutely. Anytime. Have a, have a great night.